Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. In the early hours of the morning of the 18th of September 1875, two policemen who were on the beaten Whitechapel in East London were flagged down by an exhausted man who had just been chasing after a horse-drawn cab. The man who they initially dismissed as a madman said they needed to check the contents of the cab for some parcels which were being carried by the patron inside. To their surprise, they found a lone female inside the cab, but out of the darkness emerged a man from a nearby abandoned shop. When the police asked him what was in his parcels, they were told to mind their own business, but it wasn't long before the brown paper was torn open and his secret was revealed. Under the damp brown paper was a mass of brown hair, and to their horror, when they peeled back even more of it, they discovered it was attached to a severed head. Today on Macabre London, we uncover the story of Henry Wainwright and the Whitechapel tragedy. Welcome back to another episode of Macabre London. I'm Nikki Drews, your host with a silent G, and today I'll be taking you on a journey down another of London's grimy backstreets to uncover a macabre tale from the city's past. However, before we get into today's episode, if you're new here and you want to see more videos where we deep dive into some lesser-known historic tales from London, then please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Now firstly, I want to let you in on a little secret. I'm not a very good writer. Well, 
let me rephrase that. I'm not good in the sense that I find it really difficult to concentrate sometimes. And I find myself getting really distracted very easily. And before you know it, I've spent a valuable hour scrolling on my phone, which could have been put to much better use script writing. Now, I wouldn't say I'm a coffee addict, but I do drink it every morning without fail, so safe to say that it probably is the definition of addicted. But I'm always on the lookout for things that are not as jitter-inducing as caffeine, which I know has actually been proven to not be great at helping you focus. So when Magic Mind reached out to me offering me their magical elixir, I knew I had to give it a go. I've always struggled with my writing and staying focused. I know it's going to sound cliche, but after using these little green shots for just a few days, I saw a huge improvement in my ability to focus and more importantly, to stay focused. Sometimes the hardest part for me when it comes to writing episodes is poring over things like old trial notes and research, which can be drier than the Sahara. But when I've had a shot of Magic Mind in the morning about an hour before I start my script writing, I really find it helps me just breeze through the boring bits and retain the information that I need to create my episodes, which caffeine was, to be honest, really hindering me with. The little shots, which are possibly some of the cutest packaging I've ever seen, have a balance of nootropics and adaptogens inside, including lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, which are proven to help with clarity and focus, along with a nice helping of green tea. If you've been with me for a while now or you follow my social media, you'll know that I really love matcha lattes. And so that's what I've been doing with the Magic Mind is just mixing it into a latte with a little bit of extra agave to give it some more sweetness. If you're short on time, you can also just take it as a shot and the size of the packaging makes it really easy to just pop it in your bag and take it with you. I would never recommend anything that I don't actually like myself. So you're safe in the knowledge that this is an excellent way to start your mornings. And I honestly feel that this has helped me to be able to concentrate better for longer and to contribute to bringing you the episode that you're about to listen to. If you're interested in trying Magic Mind for yourself, then you can get a whopping 40% off a subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase by visiting the Magic Mind website at www.magicmind.co forward slash macabre and using my offer code MACARB20. The 40% off code is only valid for 10 days, so if you want to get that 40% off and to try it for yourself to start on your better focus journey, you'll have to be quick. That's www.magicmind.co forward slash M-A-C-A-B-R-E and use my offer code MACARB20, which again is M-A-C-A-B-R-E 20. That's the numbers, not the word. Thanks for listening, and back to the episode. Whitechapel, in the East End of London, has become synonymous with the most infamous cold case of all time, Jack the Ripper. But in the years leading up to the unsolved quintuple murder, the East End had a few names that were known for being bloodthirsty, well before Jack was a household name. The East End was a destitute area of London, which had a multitude of nefarious characters lurking behind its doors. The area had become a place which was known for being rough and ready, and somewhere you only went to if you really needed to. However, not everyone had the option of just visiting. For those that lived there, it was a daily struggle. In the East End, there was a mixture of business and housing, and as this was an area where poor people lived, it was deemed okay to put the most disgusting of businesses there. Tanneries and breweries were just two of the pungent-smelling operations which occupied large areas of the district, and basically anything that was deemed not particularly nice, which used chemicals and created interesting aromas, were placed in that area, making the streets a strange mix of warehouses, 
and multiple occupancy housing filled with workers and their families. You may remember from a previous episode the story of Israel Lipsky, who murdered his housemate Miriam Angel when her husband left her sleeping when he went to work. Lipsky had a workshop come bedroom at the multi-occupancy household, and for the most part, most housing in this area of London at that time operated like this. People who didn't know each other, but were forced together by circumstance living in tiny buildings, which also operated under a multitude of guises, depending on the tenants that lived there. It was tough, relentless, and extremely harsh for everyone involved. Those that owned the businesses that operated in the area could afford to live away from the dismal conditions of the slums, and Henry Wainwright, a respected businessman who owned a brushmaking business, was no different. However, Henry wasn't a self-made man. He had been gifted the family business by his deceased father, and whilst his dad had a strong business acumen, Henry was more interested in the profits of the brushmaking company rather than looking to grow it for the future. Instead, he relied heavily on his brother and others who worked at the business to put in the graft on his behalf, preferring to busy himself with other interests. A married father of four, Henry lived in the upmarket area of Tredegar Square in Mile End, basically as nouveau-riche Victorian as it possibly got. A nice big townhouse, which no doubt cost a pretty penny to run. In his spare time, Henry was a temperance lecturer. He spoke to people about the virtues of being alcohol-free, and that the poor who wasted their money on booze would simply be better off saving it so they could use it to better themselves, as if the horrors of living in tenement housing and working seven-day weeks with 15-hour days didn't need to be blotted out on a regular basis. However, the hypocrisy was real, as despite his preaching, Henry himself wasn't without his own vices. Even though he was married with four children, Henry had a penchant for whiling away the hours at the theatre, but he wasn't there to soak up the culture. Instead, he had nefarious intentions. A popular art form at the time was ballet, but unlike today when it's seen as very highbrow, in the Victorian era, it was far from that. Ballet to the Victorians was an excuse for men to ogle women under the guise of art, and ballet was seen by the majority of Victorian society in the same way strip clubs are to us today, except there was no nudity. Many ballerinas who worked in these theatres were also required to perform privately for the men after the main show, and the exploitation of these dancers was a common occurrence. Pair with that the requirement that many of these girls were children starting in their early teens, it really starts to tarnish the gold on Henry's pocket watch. Henry liked to woo whichever girl took his fancy, and he had many short flings with a number of different dancers, but the girl that stole his heart ended up being a trainee milliner whom he took a shine to. Harriet Lane was a bubbly and bright 19-year-old with eye-catching tight brown curly hair, and 32-year-old Henry fell for her instantly. The pair met outside of London when Henry was on a jaunt to Broxbourne in Hertfordshire. Sparking a whirlwind romance, the pair carried on with Henry's wife, seemingly none the wiser about his extracurricular activities. As things progressed within Harriet and Henry's relationship, and it was getting more serious, Harriet found herself pregnant, and having to reveal this to her family, her father was obviously not particularly happy, 
and at this point, Harriet decided to move to London to be closer to her baby daddy. Now, I cannot stress this enough, being a 19-year-old single mother in the Victorian period would have been incredibly scandalous, and something which would have most definitely ruined Harriet's life. So Henry, as one half of this problem, had an obligation to make sure she was looked after, or else she would have faced rack and ruin. Henry rented her a house not too far from his own home, where she could raise the pair's love child. A risky move, but one that meant Henry could continue his double life without having to travel too far. In order to make sure the pair's story was not uncovered and Henry's reputation ruined, he decided that Harriet would now go by the name Mrs King, and she would be fake married to a husband, Percy, who was eternally away on business. Harriet had to have a fake husband, as everything women did in this day and age required a man's sign-off, and with a man's name attached to her, Harriet was considered reputable enough to house, as she wasn't a delinquent single mother. For a while, Harriet was content with her life. Henry kept her well, and when she visited her family back in Hertfordshire, they tried to convince her to return home, but she assured them that she was quite happy with the way Henry was caring for her back in the city. However, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies, because not long after the first child was born, and seemingly not content with making one mistake, Henry got Harriet pregnant again. Jesus, guys, buy some books or something. When child number two arrived and Harriet was finding that Henry was drifting from her being left frequently on her own to look after two babies, she was understandably quite irked. To help with the childcare, Henry employed a housekeeper, Mrs Wilmore, to help Harriet and she spent a lot of time caring for the children, living part-time in the home. When the rent payments from Percy started drying up and Harriet was having to juggle two babies, all the while Henry was swanning around town and going back to his swanky house in Mile End, she began to get loose-lipped about her part-time lover. Despite Henry's appreciation for temperance, Harriet clearly defied his ideals and turned to drink, and when she drank, she of course started to tell anyone who would listen about the man who was slowly ruining her life. As tensions rose in the couple's relationship, Henry became more distant in every way. The money to support Harriet and the two children had dried up, with only infrequent payments being made, and Henry, juggling two households which both required substantial income to continue going, started to take its toll. Business wasn't great either, and the brush-making company was not going well, as Henry was more concerned with partying than he was putting any time and effort into making money. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The final straw came when Harriet told Henry that if he didn't buck his ideas up, she'd be going to his wife with their two children in tow to reveal his adulterous secrets. In order to save himself from public humiliation, Henry had to come up with a plan to fix the problem of his own making, but all he did was further convolute the situation. He was too lost in his own lie to find a sensible way out. To try and turn the tables on Harriet, Henry orchestrated a ruse with his brother to make Harriet fall in love with someone else. If he could get her to court another man, then he could pull the old switcheroo, embarrass her, prove she didn't want him anyway, and then cut her off entirely. To do so, his brother began courting Harriet via letter, using the name of Edward Freak. Rather interestingly, the real Edward Freak was an auctioneer who worked on Whitechapel Road and was an acquaintance of Henry's. It's not known why Henry picked this name, but perhaps it was to add credibility to the story, or maybe Harriet had expressed an interest in Edward previously. Anyway, Harriet was lured in by the love notes she received from Edward, and after a few months of correspondence, Harriet was told she should pack her bags and prepare to leave, as Edward wanted to take her away for a little while. She dutifully did so, and packed the children off to Mrs Wilmore's place, along with a few boxes of belongings. However, keeping things secret as she didn't want her dalliance to be discovered... Harriet said she was only going for a few hours, and perhaps she did genuinely believe this to be the case, as she said she had some errands to run and then was going to meet Henry at 4.30. Unbeknownst to her children and Mrs Wilmore, this was the last time Harriet would ever be seen alive. When a few hours came and went and the night passed into the following day, Mrs Wilmore was concerned with Harriet's whereabouts. Also, she'd been lumbered with the two children, and you can guarantee she wasn't being paid for that overtime. Mrs Wilmore contacted Henry to ask if he'd seen Harriet, and he said she'd met with him to inform him she was leaving London and moving to Brighton immediately with her new lover, Edward Freak. He said he couldn't take the children himself, so he asked Mrs Wilmore to care for them on a monthly basis, and he would pay her £5 for the job. This was quite an attractive offer to Mrs Wilmore, as that's about the equivalent of £600 in today's money. A few weeks after Harriet had run away with Edward, she wrote to her friends and family to apologise for her sudden disappearance, and to reassure everyone she was well, but had decided to start a new life in Paris with her new lover, Edward. At this point, people started to become confused as Freak still had his auction house on the Whitechapel Road, and so it had to be assumed that Edward wasn't the same Edward they all knew. As the weeks turned into months, Harriet didn't return to the family home, and Henry continued his maintenance payments to Mrs Wilmore. When he started to falter on the payments, Mrs Wilmore questioned him, and that's when he revealed he was facing bankruptcy but would be certain to pay off his debts to her in the next few months. As Henry owned a few buildings which he'd once used as premises for the brushmaking business, he decided he would sell one of these to be able to clear his debts and to satiate his creditors, who kept knocking. 
To help clear the disused warehouse, Henry enlisted the help of an employee of his, Alfred Stokes, who had worked with the Wainwright brothers for many years. He was a trusted employee and reliable, and when Henry asked him to help with the cleaning of the warehouse in preparation for its sale, he willingly obliged. After a late shift, Henry asked Alfred to go with him to the old warehouse to move some parcels. Once inside, Alfred remarked about the peculiar smell coming from the building. He was assured by Henry that there was an issue with the sewers underneath the property and said it was a problem for the new owners of the building to deal with. In fact, the smell coming from 215 Whitechapel Road had been remarked upon by those living and working in the area, as at times it was too pungent to bear. Once inside, Henry pointed to two sacks on the floor which were full of paper and cloth-wrapped parcels and said both of them needed to be removed. Henry had been telling Alfred about his new scheme where he would be selling horsehair for brushmaking and Alfred asked if this was what the parcels were and Henry quickly moved on to a different subject and told him to get them outside. Once outside, Henry told Alfred to wait with the parcels whilst he went a street away to hail a horse-drawn cab. Out of curiosity and perhaps suspicion, Alfred took a peek inside one of the bags he'd been entrusted with. He peeled back the paper and cloth and saw a mop of curly brown hair underneath the rags. However, he soon noticed this wasn't horse hair. The hair was attached to a human head, and inside the same parcel was a hand. As Henry came round the corner, Alfred calmly covered up his discovery and helped load the bags into the cart. Henry then presented him with an axe and various other tools and asked him if he wouldn't mind selling them on his behalf and he'd split the money with him. Alfred knew exactly what the tools had been used for and in fact he remarked that they also smelled bad, but in fear of what Henry may do to him, he agreed. Alfred watched the cab slowly make its getaway and he followed on foot, knowing he had to stop Henry. Alfred ran behind the cart, doing his best to stay hidden. He was in shock and didn't quite know what to do, but he knew he had to do something. When the cab pulled over to the side of the road and Henry got out to greet a young woman, he took his chance to speak to two policemen on the side of the road. However, they ignored him and given that it was around five in the morning at this point and Alfred was incoherent with adrenaline, assumed he must have been drunk and told him to leave them alone. The cart took off again, and in fear of letting Henry slip into the night, Alfred dispensed with the two useless policemen and found two others further along the route, who were far more receptive to its plight. By this time, the cart was slowing to a halt, and Henry got out of the Hen and Chickens on Borough High Street, a disused shop belonging to his brother. He let himself in and took one of the bags into the building. When returning, Henry was accosted by the two policemen that had been clued up by Alfred as to the crime happening right in front of them. When the officers asked to have a look at what was in the bags, Henry became very defensive and tried to bribe the pair with a payoff of a whopping £50 each, but the officers didn't accept. Henry started to panic and then said he'd give them £200 if they went away, but the officers persisted and took the bag into the disused shop. They began to unwrap the parcels, and soon it was obvious that this was a body in several parts, shoved into the two bags. Whilst the commotion was happening inside the shop, Henry's new mistress, Alice, was sitting outside in the cab, waiting for him to return. 
With Henry now being held by one of the officers, the other went outside to get her as well, and the pair were both immediately arrested on suspicion of murder. The body, which was heavily decomposed, was suggested by Alfred that it might be Harriet, Henry's estranged mistress, and it didn't take long for the coroner to match up Harriet's unmistakable curls with that of the deceased. Alfred took officers back to the warehouse from where the body was removed, exactly a year to the day it had been interred there, and they discovered under the floorboards a shallow grave, filled with a mixture of lime and soil. The combination was meant to have quickly dissolved Harriet's remains, but instead it acted as a preservative, having the opposite effect of what Henry was trying to do, and hence why the smell kept drifting from the warehouse. At the post-mortem, Harriet was found to have three wounds on her head, and one to her throat, and from what the coroner reported, Henry had not made an easy job of it, and failed on his first attempt to reach his desired outcome, causing a very violent end for Harriet. When Henry faced trial a short while after the discovery of Harriet, he pleaded innocence and said that he'd been told by someone else to move the parcels from the warehouse by a man whom he'd met in a pub, and because he was offered a handsome amount of money, he accepted so he could abate his bankruptcy. He also tried to tell the jury that the parcels didn't contain Harriet and stuck with the defence that she was abroad and that this was someone else. But when police produced evidence of jewellery that was found in the warehouse which Harriet had been wearing when she left Mrs Wilmore's home, the jig was up. Pair this with the fact that the wounds on the body were consistent with a firearm Henry owned, the jury didn't require any more convincing. Henry was found guilty of willful murder and sent to Newgate Jail to await his execution. His brother was found guilty of accessory to murder as a result of his letter writing and offering the storage facility for Harriet's second resting place and given seven years behind bars. Finally, Alice, Henry's girlfriend, was released when it was determined that she had no idea about what had happened to Harriet in fact, it was regarded that she herself had had a lucky escape from the Wainwright brothers. A few days before Christmas Day, Henry met his fate on the gallows at Newgate at the hands of William Marwood, the originator of the long drop method. An enormous crowd gathered waiting to hear the bell toll and to see the black flag be hoisted above the prison walls to notify the public of his death. But Henry was indignant till the end and professed his innocence. Henry produced a letter which was to be read after he met his fate, which said he was sorry for what he'd done and that he hoped God would protect his widow and surviving children. Even though he didn't admit to the murder, his phrasing alluded to his guilt. Henry got exactly what he deserved for his crime, but I can't help but think that had the stresses and strains of Victorian society not been so prevalent in both his relationships, forcing him to live a lie that an innocent woman wouldn't have had her life cut short, just because she was simply an inconvenience. joining me for this episode as always i'd love to know your thoughts on this one so leave me a comment and a thumbs up on youtube or a rating on your podcast provider if you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed i'd love for you to join the ghoul gang we're a friendly bunch so do come and join us 
Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I make, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing legendary executive Patreon producers, Amy, Barry, Jess, Kate, Kevin, Mary, Ren, Sam, Sarah and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. Patrons get an exclusive show from me once a month, you get to vote on what episodes I do next, and also depending on the tier, you'll get some tangible goodies through the post too. If you're not up for a long-term commitment and you'd just like to leave a tip, then there's my Amazon wishlist which has items to help me make the show, and there's also one-off donation links in the description too. Or you can use the Acast support to link at the beginning of the podcast. All support is absolutely vital for being able to make the show, and also, if you haven't listened to the last few episodes, I'm making a series at the moment which is going to be airing hopefully end of the year, probably the beginning of next year, which I've started filming it and um, it's costing me money so if you want to see it then I would love it if you supported me and and, and helped me to make that because I think it's going to be really good even if I do say so myself so thank you very much for even considering joining it really does mean the absolute world and it means I can bring you more content and also a huge thanks to Magic Mind for sponsoring this episode today and if you do want to check out that link just remember that you've only got 10 days to get your 40% discount off so please head over it really does help me out as well Thank you for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Druce, and I'll see you ghouls next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.